With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 439. It's titled, Why and How to Invest in AI. Recently on our Money for the Rest of Us Plus member forum, this is our premium membership community, a member wrote the following, I believe that AI could currently be underhyped. I'm working as a software developer and use chat GPT on a daily, almost hourly basis. It's improved my productivity by roughly two and a half times. It's going to allow the automation of all kinds of business processes in the world to happen at a much faster pace than we expected. Now, that caught my attention. This software developer has been instrumental or was very influential in helping us or at least providing some guidance as we build out Asset Camp, the tool we released last month to help investors analyze stock index funds. This is a developer that I trust. But at the same time, underhyped, it seems like AI and ChatGPT has gotten a lot of hype. And AI isn't new. We've covered AI way back first time, episode 184 in 2017. And again, in episode 198 in 2018, we looked at AI and, and investing, including large language models in episode 256 in 2019. We did take a look at ChatGPT earlier this year in January in episode 417. ChatGPT is built on a large language model, which they train on vast amount of data, and then it's a word predictor. And somehow the idea of it just predicts words seemed underwhelming, and I dismissed it. I've monitored the growth of ChatGPT, but I wasn't using it until last week. And I was up most of the night using it. Now, before I share how I used it, this software developer that's using it almost hourly, I asked him, what are you doing with it? First, he points out that he always checks the accuracy of the output of ChatGPT because it does say things that are incorrect. But he uses it for the mundane parts of programming that aren't too complex, like data conversions or the generation of data types. He says it's like having a team of interns at your disposal. He uses it to learn new coding languages or provide scaffolding for solutions that are built in these languages. He uses it to find errors and bugs in more simple code and setup, such as setting up software development environments. He's using ChatGPT to assist in writing documentation for existing code, which he says it's very good at doing that. He points out that in all those cases, those use cases, you still have to understand the code and the underlying concepts, which is the thing about ChatGPT and other AI models. There's this fear they're going to totally replace highly creative professionals. Not yet, but a highly creative professional can use ChatGPT and other AI models to improve their productivity. 
And that is what has changed. And that's why it's a big deal. This is something people are actually using in their day-to-day work. Other ways this particular developer has used it is to summarize blog posts that were sort of too complicated, ask ChatGPT to put it in simpler languages. So what did I do with it? Something really simple. I asked ChatGPT, how is Thoreau related to the fire movement? And the response was, Henry David Thoreau, the American philosopher, writer, and naturalist, lived in the 19th century and is not directly related to the modern fire, financial independence, retire early movement. Thoreau's most famous work, Walden, reflects his personal philosophy of simple living and self-reliance, which shares some principles with the fire movement. Both emphasize financial independence, minimalism, and the pursuit of personal freedom. I followed up with what are some quotes from Thoreau that fire movement advocates would resonate with, and ChatGPT came up with three quotes, some of which you've already heard. One I wasn't quite sure about. It was, wealth is the ability to fully experience life, and I asked ChatGPT for the source of that, and it replied, I apologize for the confusion. In my previous response, the quote, wealth is the ability to fully experience life, is often attributed to Henry David Thoreau, but there is no definitive source of this quote in Thoreau's writing. Now, that, that's simple conversation. It's like, that's not world-changing. But I asked the same question to Google. And at the top of the first page of the search results, when asking, how is Thoreau related to the fire movement? The top response was a journal article titled, Fire and Fire Imagery in Thoreau's Journal and Walden. And the second one was reconsidering Thoreau in a burning world. In other words, I specifically asked about the fire movement, which most people would know is financial independence retire early, but not Google. And so it gave me actual fire articles related to Thoreau. Other things I've spent time with ChatGPT on is we had a very detailed discussion on does quantitative easing cause inflation? And we went back and forth at one point. ChatGPT said about the money or reserves that banks have, it wrote, if banks choose to hold on to the money rather than lending it out, then the increase in the money supply might not actually lead to more spending. And I replied, I thought banks didn't lend reserves, but that new bank loans created new deposits and increased the money supply. ChatGPT replied, you're correct, and I apologize if my previous explanation was unclear. In the modern banking system, loans create deposits and not the other way around. When a bank makes a loan, it simultaneously creates a matching deposit in the borrower's bank account, thereby creating new money. Now, how many times have I made that explanation on the podcast, which most people have no idea, including many financial professionals? But ChatGPT went on. The role of reserves, which can be increased through QE, is more about meeting regulatory requirements and settling transactions between banks, not directly funding new loans. However, QE can still indirectly stimulate lending and spending in other ways. And it went through three lengthy examples about lowering interest rates can lead to more demand for loans, which can increase the money supply and demand for goods and services. Talked about improving the balance sheets of banks and just encouraging spending and investment because of the lower yields and safer assets. And our discussion went on. Now, I've never done that with Google or other search engines. A back and forth, contextually correct discussion. Now, that doesn't mean ChatGPT is perfect because its data set, its training ended 
September 2021. And so when I asked about relatively obscure designer who has had her own brand since 2006, Elena Dawson, ChatGPT didn't know who that was. ChatGPT can't check the internet to do a search. It is based on word prediction. But think about that. Google is providing results based on authority of websites, which it uses backlinks, others linking to that website to decide if that should be the top result. That doesn't mean it knows anything about whether that top result is correct or not. What would we rather have? A search engine that's delivering results based on backlinks or a chat bot that essentially has absorbed the internet, hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of articles from authorities and put them together into this large language model. Now, some of that training data perhaps was copyright protected. This past week, there was another lawsuit filed against OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT, as well as Meta, who has their own large language model. And the contention was that these large language models are illegally scraping data from shadow libraries, so libraries out there on the web that contain copyrighted material. The growth in ChatGPT has been incredible. It has jumped the chasm to where universities are really grappling with how to deal with this because students use it and have been using it to help write essays, to answer questions, hopefully to help their learning. In some cases, basically just get the task done, which won't help learning. Having spent time using it, and I did a number of other queries, and, and I went ahead and signed up for, I think it's called ChatGPT Plus, a Plus or Pro account. I'm willing to pay $20 a month to access GPT-4, which is the latest version, and I'll use it before I, I query Google if it's not something that I need the most up-to-date, newsworthy information. I recall back in, in 1994 when the Netscape browser, the first internet browser, came out. At the time, in my corporate finance, I was using Usenet to access the internet. When I saw Netscape, I thought that this changes everything. Same when Google search came out in the late 90s. When the iPhone came out in the mid-2000s, those were game changers. And I'm suggesting that ChatGPT and other large language models are game changers for productivity improvement. There's a reason why Google last December issued a code red internally because of the threat to their business because of ChatGPT. And that's a huge business. We get dozens and dozens of queries every week from people wanting us to link to their article that they wrote on some investment-related topic so that they can get more backlinks and hopefully be deemed as having higher authority and get a higher ranking in Google results. It is a huge enterprise under the label search engine optimization. Chat GPT and other AI models are bigger in my mind than cryptocurrency because people are using this more now within six months than have used cryptocurrency or Web3 or DeFi or the metaverse. One of the crypto tokens I own is Decentraland, the supposedly largest metaverse out there that Insider found has only 38 active users. 
compared to the hundreds of millions of users of ChatGPT in six months. The other thing that caught my attention regarding this was the financial markets here to date. The big tech companies that are expected to benefit the most from ChatGPT and other models are up over 60% year-to-date. Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA. Meanwhile, the global stock market on an equated basis has only returned 5% year-to-date through June 30th, 2023. If people are using this, and they are, and will continue to use these AI models, these large language models, and other versions, that can lead to greater productivity, more output per person, which can increase economic growth. Because economic growth, GDP, is a function of the number of workers and how productive they are. Now, there are skeptics. I read an article by Ken Fisher, who is the founder of Fisher Investments. He said they've pulled hundreds of companies. And I can say it's practical uses today, chat GPT, are overall mundane, such as efficiency gains from automating repetitive tasks and marketing fluff. Good, but not game-changing. So he's skeptical. Capital Economics, their chief economist, Neil Shearing, in a blog post that I'll link to in the show notes, mentioned that they raised their two-year forecast for the S&P 500, expected U.S. stocks to appreciate 50% between now and the end of 2025. And it reflects the potential of artificial intelligence, as well as investor enthusiasm around the technology's adoption and development. They believe AI, including large language models, represent a potentially massive shift in the global economic narrative. Now, one of the questions they point out, which comes to how do we invest in this, is will the benefit be concentrated in a small number of tech companies? Or will it be more broad and spread throughout all economies? And one example is the the rising tide of productivity could lead to stronger earnings gains across maybe just technology, but all sectors. They see the potential for the use of AI effectively increasing the global supply, the ability to produce, because more production or more productivity means more could be produced, which potentially could be disinflationary. Because inflation is caused by capacity constraints. And if AI can further relieve capacity constraints, creating more supply, then that could lead to lower levels of inflation. There could be geopolitical impacts. If China, for example, as Capital Economics points out, doesn't have as big a corpus of data to train these models on, will they fall behind? Or will they find other ways to integrate it? So these are the more macro aspects of AI, the potential to increase productivity, increase economic growth, increase earnings, be disinflationary, because people are actually using it. Still the minority, just like you saw with the internet. Started off slow, but this is ramping up incredibly quickly. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs, 
that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com David. That's linkedin.com David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So how do we invest in AI? Well, first way to invest, or one of the ways, and I actually asked chat GPT, how do individual investors invest in AI? And one of the responses was invest in your own education in it. Use it, experiment with it. And that's the first way. The second way is if you have a global index fund, you already are investing in AI as those top five holdings in the global stock market appreciated over 60%. That brought up the global stock market return as measured by the MSCI All-Country World Index. It's returned roughly 15% year to date. It's been pulled up by AI. And that is that is the benefit and the efficiency of size-weighted or capitalization-weighted index funds. Because when something does well, it gets a larger weight in the index and it increases the performance of the index. And if this turns into more of a, let's call it a internet bubble hype, then there's the potential for even more of that, a much greater appreciation, which would impact the overall stock market. Markets can get ahead of themselves. What's interesting about AI is because it takes so much training of the data and the use of supercomputers and just sheer processing power, it's bigger companies that, at least so far, are benefiting from it. NVIDIA, Meta, Microsoft. As Ken Fisher wrote, it's not tiny startups in Silicon Valley that are driving AI. It is the big guys in chips, software, data analytics, search, and more with pole position. So while it seems tempting to get in on the ground floor, this isn't a ground floor moment. It is impossible to identify such far-flung long-term winners. If I could, I would, but humility is vital. That's the challenge here. We don't know how AI will improve productivity. It seems like it will, but who's going to be the beneficiary of that with the stock market? Because with the stock market, 
as we've emphasized numerous times, the stocks that outperform are the ones that beat the consensus. They do better than expected. They surprise to the upside. And we don't know which ones those are. And so that's why investing through an exchange traded fund in a diversified fashion is the way to participate in AI. Foremost, as I mentioned, a global index fund. And then as we look at other ways to invest, there's a framework we can use. We want to look at how diversified the ETF is, how, how many holdings. It's important to understand the structure. Is it a size-weighted ETF? So it might have 8 or 9% in NVIDIA. Or is it equal-weighted, where each holding is roughly the same weight? As part of that, what is the frequency of rebalancing? If you have an equal-weighted ETF, you need to rebalance more than if it's size-weighted, which means the turnover is important. What is the annual turnover in holdings? Lower turnover means greater tax efficiency if it's a taxable account. Is the ETF active? Are they actively selecting holdings, or is it passive where they're following an index that has specific rules in terms of how the index is created? We care about the fees. What's the expense ratio for the ETF? And what is the valuation? Is it very expensive or does it seem more reasonably priced in terms of a metric like the price-to-earnings ratio? The Plus member, the software developer, was particularly interested in semiconductors because they're, uh, as in his words, a core component of AI. The increasing complexity of AI will require more powerful chips. The data centers and cloud computing that run AI applications all need significant computing power. And then there's AI involved in the creation of designing and manufacturing semiconductors. I agree, investing in a semiconductor ETF is one way to invest in AI. Again, though, it depends on whether AI is truly underhyped and these chip makers will do better than expected. I believe NVIDIA has gained over 200% year to date. Will it gain 1,000%? We don't know. But an example of a semiconductor ETF would be the iShares Semiconductor ETF, S-O-X-X. This is a size-weighted ETF. So NVIDIA makes up 8.4% of the ETF. It's concentrated with 30 holdings. Overall, it's passively managed, so it's following a ICE Semiconductor Index. And its turnover is relatively low at 18%. And the price-to-earnings ratio is, is not as high as I thought it would be. It's only 22 So semiconductors would be one way to invest in AI. There are also AI-specific ETFs. A brand new one just came out in May is the Round Hill Generative AI and Technology ETF. Ticker is CHAT. It's seeking to invest in an actively managed way. So this is actively managed. They're doing research. They're making selections, investing in AI-related companies. The expense ratio is 0.75%. The expense ratio for that semiconductor ETF, SOXX, is 0.35%. The Roundhill Generative AI and Technology ETF is size-weighted. It is concentrated with 38 holdings, so NVIDIA is 8% of the ETF. And it's brand new, so we don't know what the turnover is, but it is a more of a pure play, actively managed ETF. There's also the Robo Global Artificial Intelligence ETF, THNQ. Expense ratio is 0.68%, 50 million in assets. Little more diversified, 73 holdings. Turnover is 35%, but this is more equal weighted. So NVIDIA is the second holding, 2.2%, but 
most of the holdings in this ETF is about a 2% holding. But it's another way to play it on a, let's say, a more diversified, equal-weighted basis. But that means that if, if a particular company just appreciates incredibly rapidly, that they'll need to pull it back and make it back at that 2% weight. That approach is similar to the iShares Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF. Ticker is IRBO. This is also passively managed. It's tracking the New York Stock Exchange FactSet Global Robotics and Artificial Intelligence Index. $440 million, 0.4% expense ratio, 58% turnover, equal weighted 129 holdings. This was an ETF I mentioned in a Plus episode, one of our premium audio episodes that we do for Plus members back in March as one way to invest in AI, but they tend to be smaller companies. So NVIDIA is in there, but it, it basically, all the companies have a 1% or so weight. So again, you don't get the benefit of the momentum that you would with a size-weighted ETF if you get some of these holdings that are up 200% over six months. Another equal-weighted option from iShares is the iShares Exponential Technology ETF, XT. It's also passively managed, equally weighted, much more diversified, 222 holdings, Expense ratio is 0.46%, 69% turnover. NVIDIA is the top holding, again, 1.2%. So even though these are effectively equally weighted, they're, they're not exact because they're 222 holdings, which means the largest holding, though, is NVIDIA at 1.2%. Now, I'll list all of these ETFs in the show notes for the episode. The way that I'm investing in... AI is foremost experimenting with it, learning about it, using it, understanding it, understanding its economic ramifications, which I'll definitely be discussing on the podcast. I haven't decided which of these ETFs, and probably more than one of them, I'll invest in to participate in AI, but I plan on doing so. And I I always discuss my trades when I make changes on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. I will take a reasonable position. Ken Fisher, for example, is skeptical. And, and so he says, don't use AI as your entire screening mechanism whenever you invest in stocks. He believes a quality growth approach is best. So we don't want to go overboard. We can participate. And just owning a global diversified index fund will allow you to participate if it turns out AI has been underhyped and its ramifications are much greater than what the market consensus reflects right now can participate via VT, the Global Diversified Index Fund. But also, if you want to take a more active bet in AI, then investing in an ETF that focuses on AI, such as some that we mentioned, or focuses on semiconductors, in my mind, that's the way to play it because we do not know which of those 30 to 200 companies are going to surprise to the upside. Some of them will. Some of them will disappoint. New ones will come along but it's a way to participate in the sector and benefit from what appears to be an AI revolution. We'll see. I'm more excited about this than I am about cryptocurrency or Web3. I spent a lot of time at Web3 and it just, it's neat, but I'm not using it every day. Software developers are not using it every day in their work. Educators are not using it every day. Students are not using Web3 every day but they're using AI and they're using ChatGPT and other models. I think they'll continue to do so. And I believe this is a game changer. 
That's why we should invest. We've discussed how to invest without going overboard. That's episode 439. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning, as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, the economy. Have a great week.